I invite you to open your Bible tonight to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30. And we are going to read verses 1 through 22. Isaiah 30 is a, particularly verse 15, a verse that God has used in my life in a um, particular way. I, I, I remember the first time this verse really uh, struck me. I was uh, 28 years old, probably, 28 years old, down in, um, graduated from Westminster in California. I was doing an internship at First Chino in California. And um, we had a youth retreat up in, the, up in the mountains, up at Big Bear. Beautiful spot. And um, there was uh, some crisis going on in my, in my life. Um, and just very troubled, and I remember taking my Bible and walked out into the woods and found a quiet spot and sat down and literally opened my Bible. I don't recommend this generally as a way of uh, discerning God's will, but um, I just opened my Bible and looked down, and there was Isaiah 30, 15, for thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, now I, I was reading the NIV, it says, repentance and rest, you shall be saved, in quietness and trust shall be your strength. And I closed my Bible and I said, well, that's all I need to hear. Um, that was exactly what I needed to hear, and uh, the Lord um, has just used that verse from time to time to just remind me of where life is found and where peace and rest is found, um, and so we're going to give our attention to that tonight. So let's, let's look at Isaiah chapter 30. This is Isaiah speaking to the people of Judah, and uh, they are wandering. They're giving, them, giving themselves to idols, and we'll see here in chapter 30, they've made a decision that deeply offends God. As the Assyrians are on the move, on the march, the Assyrians are attacking, and Judah makes a fatal decision. Let's give our attention. Verse 1. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, who make an alliance but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame, and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. For though his officials are at Zoan and his envoys reach Hanes, everyone comes to shame through a people that cannot profit them, that brings neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace." an oracle on the beasts of the Negev, Negev, through a land of trouble and anguish from where the lioness and the lion, the adder and the fl flying fiery serpent, they carry their riches on the backs of donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to a people that cannot profit them. Egypt's help is worthless and empty. Therefore I have called her Rahab who sits still. A very loose translation that would be the toothless dragon. That's the idea that's being communicated. And now go, write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be found for, that may be for a time to come as a witness forever. For they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to their seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way, turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them, 
Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant, and its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel that is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shard is found with which to take fire from the hearth or to dip up water out of a cistern. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling, and, and you said, no, we will flee upon horses, therefore you shall flee away. And we will ride upon swift steeds, therefore your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one, and at the threat of five you shall flee, till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, be gone. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Oh God, our Father, we thank you again for the Holy Spirit, that precious spirit that speaks to us the truth of God's word and, and gives us the ability to understand it. And Lord God, we are a people with anxious hearts and restless hearts and idolatrous hearts and uh, We've made the decisions that Judah made so many times, and yet thank you, Lord, that you rise tonight to be gracious to us and to call us back to the right way. Oh, may the teacher tonight speak, and may we hear in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of the sermon tonight is Two Ways to Live. Uh, some of you maybe are familiar with the track by that name, excellent little track, and this is the, basically the same idea. Um, because here in uh, this portion of the book of Isaiah, the Lord lays out the simple truth that in a world with billions of people and millions of different cultures and thousands of different religions, at the end of the day, there are two and only two ways to live. Uh, you can live on the one hand by trusting in your idols, trusting in yourself and the gods that you look to, the gods that you make or you can live trusting in the living God of heaven. Those are the two roads, the two ways. Uh, those two ways are uh, personified here in Judah's day by the road to Egypt or the road um, taught by the teacher, the road of repentance and rest and trust. Those are the two paths. And most of our fears and struggles and anxiety that we experience as Christians come because uh, we are resisting the road of quietness and trust and are actually walking the road to Egypt. We're looking to ourselves or to the things, um, our idols, to protect us, to provide us life, and they fail over and over again. If, if tonight you find that uh, the, you struggle with fear, with anxiety, with anger, with impatience, 
And you ask yourself, why? The answer is not because that's just your personality. Uh, yes, maybe that is your personality, but, but uh, that's not the fundamental reason. There's a, there's a reason your personality is like that and, like, and mine is like mine. And, and the, the biblical answer, of course, is that I find that the reason I uh, find those fruits in my life, fear, anxiety, impatience, anger, uh, I'm not walking on the road of quietness and trust. I had a, a sort of a, um, a little mirror uh, shown to me when we were going to Presbyterian meeting, we were uh, crossing the border over by Sarnia, and uh, we're coming down to the, uh, the, the agents, where the, the border agents, where we got to, you know, you get in line. The line wasn't too long. There's was about three cars. And uh, so I, I get in line, and um, we're waiting there, and a, and a guy, two lines over, decides that this line is better, so he cranks, you know, big Ford F-150, cranks it over, and gets in this line, kind of cockeyed, and his wife is sitting there next to him, I'm imagining what that conversation is, is going like, and, um, and then the, uh, the agent in the line he just got in gets out of the booth and walks away. They're going to change, and, and they were in the process of changing, and, and I'm watching this guy sit there while cars are just going by, and the line he was in, right, uh, he would have been out 10 minutes ago, and he's just sitting there, sitting there, and I'm thinking, I know exactly what that guy feels like. Uh, he gave in to his impatience. He's going to fix the problem, right? He's going he's to beat the system, and all that he did was reveal the truth of his own anxious heart. Been there, done that, I got the t-shirt. Tonight, we're going to look at Judah's folly. Judah's folly. You see, Judah had a real problem, not an imaginary problem, but a real problem, a, a devastating crisis. The, the nation of Assyria was on the march, a, a, a vast army, that, and they were just crushing nation after nation, and they were on the, on the road to Judah. And, uh, and, and, and with that attacking army comes all the horror of war of that day, all the pillaging, all the murder, all the rape that war would entail. And so Judah is in dire straits. Judah needs to do something. This is not a moment for uh, doing nothing and hoping for the best. They need to do something. The future of their nation and their families depend upon doing something. And so the rulers get together and they come up with a plan. And Isaiah chapter 30 is God's response to the plan. This is a sermon that Isaiah would have preached. Thus saith the Lord. And God rebukes Israel, Judah, for the path that they've chosen. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, and who make an alliance but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. These are people who profess to believe in the God of the Bible. That they profess to believe in the God who created heavens, the heavens and the earth. They profess to believe in the God who performed mighty wonders in days of old and rescued Israel out of the hands of Egypt by the plagues and the signs, the wonders of God. These are, these are the people who've seen God bring them into the land and, and destroying the nations before them. They, they, they know these things. They profess to believe in these things. But when push comes to shove in the reality of the advancing Assyrian army, they don't turn to the God they profess. They don't ask, what's God's plan? 
What is the direction God would have us go? What, they don't look for an alliance with the Spirit of God. They look to Egypt. They look to the protection of Pharaoh. They seek shelter in the shadow of the Egyptian army. These are the people, right, who, who were supposed to dwell in the secret place of the Most High and, and in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, we could easily uh, scoff at them, but we, we just should pause a moment and, and realize how perfectly normal and natural this decision would have seemed to them. I mean, an army is approaching. This is, um, this is, this is not a moment for wishful thinking. Right? If, if someone would say, well, we ought to pray, you know the response you hear today. You know, what's prayer got to do with, with anything? If you want to pray, you go ahead and have your moment, but we've got a crisis to deal with. And if, you, if, if a great arm, army is advancing, uh, how are you going to resist that army? Well, the answer is you need a bigger army. You're going to have to go find help. And, and who is there to help? Well, Egypt maybe could help. They are not what they used to be, militarily speaking, but... but they, they, could, they could definitely help us. Let's, let's load up our camels in, in verses 6 here. Let's load up our camels with, with all the, our treasures and let's cart that down to Egypt and let's buy an army. It seems very reasonable. It seems, it, it seems incredibly rational. And yet God is rightly and highly offended. God is highly offended. You see, God is the king of Judah in truth. But not only of Judah, but of the whole earth. He thunders in chapter 40 against the unbelief of his people. Have you not heard? Do you not know? The Lord sits enthroned above the earth. Its, people, its peoples are like grasshoppers. Assyrians, grasshoppers. He brings princes to naught. He reduces the rulers of this world to nothing Israel, do you not understand? Your God is actually, in truth, God. God. A living God. Sovereign God. And God expects His people to actually then believe that and to trust that in the context of real life. It's not just a Sunday school lesson or a religious idea or a theological doctrine. It is a living truth that God expects Judah to lay hold of. He expects them to take refuge in Him. He expects them to live as though He were a mighty and awesome God. The only God. Now, of course, if you were to talk to the rulers of the day, they'd say, I don't know why he's so offended. We believe all of that. We prayed before we decided to go down to Egypt. You see, the fact is that they're atheists in practice. No matter what they profess, no matter how they pray, in practice, they're going to look to practical things, practical solutions. They're not going to turn to the Lord. They're going to go to Egypt. They're not going to trust God. They're going to seek for help along more practical lines. And, and of course, this isn't hard for us to understand. We've all gone, gone down to Egypt in our own ways. Have you ever responded to an unwanted situation with impatience? Have you, have you ever been impatient? 
Have you ever sought comfort in a drink or a drug or a porn binge or shopping spree or an illicit relationship or a pity party? Those are all roads to Egypt. Those are all roads to Egypt. They might seem like small sins to us, but they reveal a heart that in the moment of decision chooses Egypt over God. We're going to choose our idol. In this, in this instance, in this moment, I'm going to go to my idol instead of rely upon the Lord. And we've all done it. Well, in verse 3 and following, God warns them that they've made a fatal choice. Verse 3, Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. And of course, the same is true for our, all the idols that we pursue. I mean, have you, ever, have you ever gone down to Egypt? Have you ever um, found it life-giving there? Have you, have you turned to your, you, you've given way to your anger, you've vented your impatience, you've given way to your lust, your gluttony, your self-pity? Have you ever done that and found yourself to be wonderfully refreshed, revived, ready for a new day? That was fantastic. Of course not. It never works like that. Our idols always fail us. They never solve the problem. They only make the problem worse. They're utterly useless, and that's exactly what God says is going to happen to Judah. Now, the question that I want to ask now is, how, how did Judah get here? So we see the choice they're making. It's an awful choice, a devastatingly bad choice, a, 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 a choice that offends God. How did they get there? And that's a good question for us to ask ourselves when we give in to our idols. How did we get here? What, what made that seem like a good idea? Well, God tells us how it happened to Judah, verses 8 through 11. God says it all stems from a refusal to hear God's word and receive instruction from the Lord. There are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and the prophets do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. That's not strange. It's tragic, but it's not strange. People, um, people say this all the time. We live in, a, I think our nation is characterized in so many ways. The Christianity of our nation characterized by this sort of, by this sort of, Language, this sort of um, desire. Prophesy to us smooth things. Tell me, how, tell me how I can have a better marriage. Tell me how I can raise my kids and get out of debt and, and achieve my full potential. Uh, tell me how I can get rich, how I can be healthy. Right? I mean, the, the health, wealth, gospel, uh, which is not a gospel, is, is swamping our nation and the world. It's everywhere. You know that 45,000 people go each week to hear Joel Osteen? 45,000 people a week. Millions more listening every week on uh, his online programming. Hundreds of thousands of pastors taking that message and, and going forward. Talk to Eleno uh, Montenegro about what's happening in Brazil. What's the fastest growing part of the church in Brazil? Charismatic health, wealth, health, wealth preaching. It's everywhere. Why? Well, because it's, it's smooth, it's comforting, it's, it's self-affirming. Don't talk to me about the Holy One of Israel, this consuming fire for what is evil. Right? Don't, don't, don't talk about sin 
repentance and all, all those things. Tell me about how to thrive, how to, how to enjoy life, how to live life to its fullest. That'll gather a crowd. Now, of course, it's easy for us to point fingers and talk about those other people. But what about the ways that we despise the Word of God? What about the ways where, that we suddenly say, don't talk to me about that? It can happen just in our, um, our own unwillingness to have a meaningful relationship with our Bible. You know, one of the saddest things that um, happened somewhere along the line in, in my experience of the Dutch Reformed tradition, I don't think this, I'm not sure this is universal, but in my experience growing up in a Dutch Reformed church is I did not have a relationship with my Bible. Uh, we just weren't taught to do that. It wasn't having, uh, opening your Bible and sitting down and reading it and praying over it. Now, we did it at mealtime. Dad was so faithful, and I'm so thankful for that. Every meal, we read the Bible and, and praised God for that. But I wasn't discipled in how to have a personal relationship with my Bible. I hope, I hope you do. I, I saw a, a little saying somewhere that said, you know, it had a picture of an iceberg, and the very tip of the top said, this is what your pastor can give you, and then the whole huge thing underneath, this is what daily... Um, engagement with the Word of God can give you. This is what makes us deep. But we're busy people, aren't we? It's hard to sit down and take time to, to read. I would, I would just encourage you to pick it up again, friends. Not, not because it's a, just a duty, just something that, that good Christians are supposed to do, but because but we don't want to be people who are, are making excuses not to hear the instruction of God. There's something about just reading it and praying over it that Jesus talks to us. The Word of God talks to us. But let me ask you this. Other ways that we maybe uh, fail to seek the Lord's direction and we seek plans that are not His. I do not believe that there is a sort of a center of God's will. You've got to buy the right house and marry the right person and have the right job and right, that God has a, this perfect plan for you. But I do believe that we are meant to live in daily dependence and reliance on the Lord so that if we're going to buy a house, I think we should pray about that. If we're going to get a new job, I think we should pray about that. Um, if there are significant decisions taking place and, and, and the day-to-day -day details of, of raising children, I think we should pray about that and, and, uh, and how we're going to uh, do life. Because otherwise, you see, we're making plans just sort of living life as it comes and our religion lightly lies on top of it all. Yes, we believe all that stuff, but when it comes to actually doing life, this doesn't have a lot to do with that. It's our own way of, of denying the instruction of God. You see, the danger in verse, verse 13, the danger of that kind of life is that it's like a breach in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. <clears throat> 1959, a dam burst uh, high in the mountains of France, and um, millions of tons of water just gushed down the mountain, destroying two villages and killing 421 people. The dam had been a marvel of uh, modern engineering, and the, uh, the people were astonished when it collapsed for no apparent reason. But inspectors soon discovered the cause. The engineering was fine. The cement was faulty. And so year after year, it slowly disintegrated underneath the waterline, completely out of sight, and then in a moment, it failed with disastrous consequences. Well, that's what happened to Judah. 
They had all the appearance of a godly people, of a, of a, of a godly nation. They, they had the ceremonies. They had the priests and the robes in the temple. They, they had all the, the appearances, but underneath there, there was this rot of unbelief, this subtle rot of not relying on the Lord. A, made in, in a thousand daily, little daily decisions so that when the crisis came, the only reasonable option in their mind was let's go to Egypt. A fatal choice. And these kinds of things, it happens all the time. You remember what Jesus said on the last day when persecution comes, there will be many people who fall away. Why would that be the case? Well, this is, this is why, because no matter how religious they might have seemed, in the day-to-day stuff of real life, they were not actually living in reliance on the Lord. They weren't living an actual life of repentance and rest and trust. And so when the, wall, when the, when the trouble came, the wall of their shallow faith collapsed. I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want it to happen to me. So what do we need to do now to make sure that it won't, that won't happen to us then? Well, in the middle of this hard rebuke, God shows them the path that leads to life. Verse 15, the invitation, for thus said the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and trust shall be your strength. The word returning can be translated repentance. It's the same word, um, in repentance and rest you shall be saved. The idea is, is turning away from the path of self-reliance, turning away from the path of idolatry, and turning to the path of trust, rest, quietness, in, in, as we rest in, and trust in the Lord. See, the, the path of faith is, is a path of daily turning away from unbelief, away from our idols, away from our striving and working and trying and turning to concrete, functioning rest in the Lord. Martin Luther, as you know, pounded, found a 95 thesis on the door of Wittenberg and the Reformation began. Do you know what the first thesis was? The first thesis is this. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Not obedience, not doing the best you can, striving, trying, being as good a Christian as you know how. Repentance. Just turning again and again to Jesus. Turning again and again away from my idols, away from my self-reliance, away from all my striving as my means to, to make life work and turning again and again to God, to trust. You see, friends, every morning you roll out of bed, that's the question in front of you. Where does my help come from today? Your gifts, your energy, your strength, your plans. Is that where your help comes from today? Or does it come from the Lord who made heaven and earth? Because you see, the one way is going to lead to a very busy life and a very anxious life and, and a life full of fear because you're, you're building this thing the best you know how and you're working hard, but you know that in a moment it can just all come crashing down. Just takes one diagnosis from the doctor, one wrong turn by a drunk driver, and, and, and everything that you've built your life on collapses. And that's a life full of fear, full of anxiety. And then there's a life of resting and waiting 
on the Lord. And God says to Israel, this is the path of strength, and this is the path of, path of salvation. How can the, the people of Judah be rescued from the approaching Assyrians? Well, God says, turn to me. Turn to me. And rest and trust. It's the same way, you see, of course, they were saved from the approaching army of Pharaoh in, back in Egypt. How were they going to possibly escape that um, devastating crisis? Well, by trusting in the Lord. How are we going to be saved in the, in the real crisis of our life? So when, when our marriage is really struggling or our family is in trouble and, and we're facing hardship at work and, and the doctor has given us a, a really difficult diagnosis, all the, all the stuff that we are going to face in the life that we live, how are we going to, to thrive in those places? How are we going to be at peace in those places? And the only way is this path. Repentance and rest. It's so counterintuitive, and yet it is so true. You see, rest and quiet are what happen when you actually trust, not just talk about it. This is something I told someone this morning, uh, tonight, uh, coming in. Uh, I'm preaching this sermon to, to me. This is, this is the path that I want to walk. Rest and quiet as I trust in the Lord, as you walk your life. There are so many things that can make us anxious. So many things that can make us afraid. So many things that weigh down on our hearts. And yet Jesus says, cast all your cares upon me because he cares for you. So we can calm our anxious soul by actually trusting. The, the fruit of functioning trust will be rest. It'll be quietness. It'll be, okay, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I, I, I trust that you love me. I trust that you have my life in your hand. I trust you know what you're doing. You, you promise this will be for your glory and my good, and I trust. And, and notice, finally, the reason that God gives, the wonderful assurance he gives to those who trust in him. As he points to his own gracious spirit, verse 18, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and he exalts himself or rises up to show mercy to you, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Isn't that a wonderful truth? God is speaking to you us again. In the middle of our fear, in the middle of our unbelief, and all the idols that have failed us, God rises up and says, look at me, Judah, look at me. A gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, who rises to show mercy to you. That's the prodigal father, isn't it? The, the, the father of the prodigal son? It's exactly the story Jesus tells of the young man who goes off and wastes his wealth on the things of the world and then ends up in the pig pen and, and, uh, and finally comes to himself and says, I will go back home and work as a servant. And he goes back home and the father sees him from a long way off and rises and runs to embrace his returning, repenting son. That's Isaiah chapter 30. And friends, that's the God that calls you tonight to rest in him. How has God risen to show us mercy? Well, he's done that in the person of Jesus, hasn't he? This isn't just a theory. It's not just a nice thing that God says about himself, but God has acted in his faithfulness to show us mercy in the person of his own son. 
In Jesus, the gracious character of God is revealed for you and for me and so that we can believe it and so that we can lay hold of it. In Jesus, God has rescued us from the advancing armies of death and guilt and sin and shame and hell. In Jesus, we have been saved to the uttermost. And Jesus tells us that everything that we will face in this life, he will be at work training us, disciplining us for our good, bringing a harvest of righteousness. John 15, those who bear fruit, the Father prunes, so it bears more fruit. Jesus knows what he's doing, friends. In your life today, he knows what he's doing. And, And the word from the Lord comes to you tonight. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Blessed are those who wait for him. Not work and strive and try harder, but those who rest and trust and wait in a functioning faith. What path are you on tonight? What does your life look like? What fruit is it bearing? Is there an increasing peace and calm and quietness? Or is just increasing fear and anxiety and impatience and anger? What path are you on? God calls us tonight to trust and rest in Him. To embrace a life of quietness of soul as we feed on the goodness of God to us in Jesus Christ. Your your God calls you to this. God calls you to this. Let's listen to the teacher. This is the way. Walk in it. Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are anxious people. And we're people, Lord, who resort to our efforts and our idols to make life work, and they always fail, and they always bring more heartache, and they offend you because they are all rooted in unbelief. And Father, I thank you that you admonish us, but I thank you, Father, that you also speak peace to us, and you invite us again tonight to come and rest in the secret place of the Most High God, to abide in the shadow of of the Almighty, to say of the Lord, this is my God, my refuge, my strength, in Him I will trust. Father, I I pray that you would give us, by the Spirit, the ability to actually then do that, to trust you tonight, to lay down our cares and concerns and griefs and to lay them down at the foot of the cross and trust in your love, trust in your faithfulness, trust in your goodness, trust in your gracious heart, trust in your mercy, that we can both lie down and sleep in peace. Oh God, make us a beautiful, resting, repenting, quiet, trusting people. And then to receive your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond to the word tonight. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Let's stand together and sing.
going to come forward and we're going to close the service with the Lord bless you and keep you with a sevenfold amen. It's a little tricky, but they will lead and uh, sing with your whole heart, even if you're not exactly right on the right notes, that's fine. Um, it's a beautiful song, a beautiful hymn, and we'll close with that. Receive now the benediction given by the Lord your God. I'm reading from 2 Thessalonians uh, 1, uh, 2, excuse me, verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.